Welcome to the Health and Wellness Show, everybody. Today is Friday, August 18th, 2017. My name is Jonathan. I'll be your host for today. Joining me in our virtual studio from all over the planet, we have uh, Doug, Tiffany, Elliot, and Erica. Hi, guys. Hello, everyone. Hello. So we are missing Gabby this week. We wish her well, and we'll, we'll talk to her next week, have her back on the show. Uh, today, our topic is men and women are different. What is the big deal? So uh, this has <laughs> come about because of the uh, the recent news, which I'm sure most people have heard about. If you're on Facebook or Twitter, you've you've heard about the uh, the Google manifesto uh, from an employee named James Demore from Google, who published an internal memo uh, that cited biological differences in the makeup of men and women that influence job choice and placement. This has been, needless to say, a hot topic. Uh, so we wanted to discuss it uh, and not just not just that memo, but the issue kind of in society and, and how it's coming up right now. Um, and basically talk about, you know, biological differences. Does that make you like, you know, just talking about biological differences make you anti-progressive, I guess, is the <laughs> thing. Uh, so, and I guess I would also like to address at some point, like with the definition of the word progressive and how people are throwing kind of stuff around. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah, let's, I guess, have a discussion around it. I'd be curious uh, you guys, like um, Doug, not being in the United States at the moment, what mm. what is the air like? You know, are people, is this on the news elsewhere or is it just kind of a U.S. thing? Uh, well, it's in, it's in Canada for sure. It's like it's yeah. all over. I mean, a lot of Canadian news, uh, I mean, you know, there is obviously local news as well, but uh, we get a lot of the uh, the American news. Um, you know, especially the big hot topics and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, <clears throat> I've definitely seen it in, you know, my, like you were saying, Facebook feed, Twitter feed, that kind of thing. People are yeah. talking about it. And um, I, I know I know that uh, <clears throat> there's been, you know, he's, he's basically, uh, this guy has been like lambasted in the pay, in the, the press and like, you know, his, his uh I, you know, even to call it a manifesto is a bit strong, I think. It's just yeah. kind of like, you know, people are calling it a rant or a screed and, like, it's hateful and all this kind of stuff. And it's really, like, it it just it kind of blows my mind because I read it and I was looking for all this vitriol and there's, <laughs> there's nothing there. It's all just kind of like, you know, this is what the science suggests, you know. Yeah. And if that suddenly makes you hateful, then, um, you know, we're in some trouble, I think. Yeah. Kind of makes you wonder if the critics even read the manifesto, like it's the communist yeah. manifesto or something. <laughs> if they even read the memo. I mean, basically, yeah. he was saying that there are biological differences between men and women uh, that influences not only their placement in STEM fields or tech fields, uh, but he was also saying that Google is kind of this closed echo chamber. And if they really want to progress, they need to stop being so sensitive mm. to certain issues. So yeah. basically it was kind of like a plea for Google to be more open. And Google went ahead and just fired him for yeah. promoting what they say. Gender stereotypes. Anti-diversity. Yeah, gender stereotypes. Yeah. Which is, yeah. It's pretty ridiculous. I mean, like, you know, a, a lot of the, the stuff we were looking at for getting ready for this show was actual scientists talking about how, no, he seems to be, you know, pretty up to date on the literature and what's going on with that. And like, it just, the fact that, that anybody can read that and, you know, his, 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 uh, memo has links in it to, to studies, to, 
Wikipedia to like all kinds of different like so it's not like he's just saying this stuff you know it is it is backed up so and I mean Jordan Peterson actually uh, interviewed him and uh, when he posted the interview he actually added a whole bunch more references kind of backing up what he had said so it was kind of like you know all these people who just kind of didn't like what they were reading you know said you know just accused him of of being sexist and and just kind of making the you know pulling this stuff kind of off the cuff when really it, it actually was well referenced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think that the reinforcing gender stereotypes thing as an accusation is kind of interesting mm-hmm. because I, I keep coming back to the like, uh, and you, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that there was anywhere in there where he specifically said women should be either ignored or marginalized or that they were no. somehow less able to do engineering, you know, that mm-hmm. or tech and engineering, no. because I think, every person with a little bit of common sense knows that that's not true. Right. Uh, you know, like for instance, the inventor of the COBOL programming language is a woman, Grace Murray Hopper. Uh, mm. You know, it's like, it, you know, there's examples all over the place. And if you wanted to get into that argument, I think it's a dead end. You know what I mean? So, yeah. but then well, and he was saying it was unrealistic to expect 50, 50 as well. Yeah. <laughs> that this is, and trying yeah. to get other people in Google to, if they agreed with his position on that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that I was basically be... where he was coming from, right? Like he yeah. was, he was saying like, you know, he wasn't saying women aren't good programmers. He was saying, you know, maybe the discrepancy in the numbers of women in tech isn't because of overt sexism. Like maybe mm-hmm. it's just like they're not drawn to the field because, you know, it doesn't play to natural um, strengths of women. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's, the, it's, it's, so it isn't that, uh, you know, hiring practices are sexist or, um, you know, the universities are all sexist and they're only allowing, um, a certain number of women into these, uh, these areas of study. It's like, no, you know, you, we have to look at the, the natural tendencies of, of the sexes and see, you know, maybe look at it from that perspective and, and, and get a better idea of what's really going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and to, uh, you know, I guess playing a little bit of devil's advocate, there's a, a history here where women have been marginalized in the tech engineering industry and in engineering, um, not as, I guess, an institutional policy, but trust me, I have come across it quite a bit. Uh, and there's a lot of guys who either write code for like apps or for games, uh, you know, experienced coders who I would otherwise consider intelligent people who are legitimately misogynistic and are like, you know, women can't, can't write this stuff, you know, like get out of here, mm-hmm. what you, you know, why don't you go play with a doll or something like that, that, <laughs> that attitude. <laughs> and I'm not, I mean, I know it's funny, but it's like that attitude actually exists. So that's why I think it's a touchy subject because mm-hmm. what he's saying, like there is an argument to be made that there's uh, uh, you know, a gender bias that goes on in the tech industry. But what makes it that specifically, I think, makes it even harder to talk about this yeah. because I don't think that it, I don't think that he was one of those people. No. But, you know, that's really hard to explain to somebody who wants to react quickly to what he was saying because those people do exist. And so when you get into that, you really have to suss it out. And those kind of conversations are rare anymore where you can actually like get into the details of people. 
Well, so. I think that's part of the problem, right? I mean, what yeah. we've seen from this, right? Like, I'm not, I, I don't, he even says that he's not trying to say that, you know, he has a, a perspective and that sexism doesn't exist anymore or racism yeah. doesn't exist anymore. You know, that, the, you know, that, that would be naive, I think, for anybody mm-hmm. to actually try and make that argument. I mean, obviously those things do still exist. But yeah. what he was trying to say is that, you know, you, we, you can't just automatically fall back to the position that it's sexism or that it's racism right. or something right. along those lines. Um, that, you know, to, to really actually, um, I mean, and one of his big complaints was basically that, uh, that, um, diversity, um, initiatives, um, are inherently racist in themselves and sexist in themselves Mm -hmm. and that, uh, they don't really solve anything, especially if you're trying to, you know, aim at, uh, performance you know uh, a meritocracy where everybody is kind of you know judged on their ability not on any kind of extraneous factors like gender or um race mm-hmm. so yeah. i think uh you know while I, I i get your point jonathan i know i know that those things uh certainly exist um and it is something that's that maybe you know needs to be looked at and 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 tried to be dealt with but i would say that these kind of affirmative action type um initiatives are not the way to go um, I think that they yeah. only lead to disaster, resentment. Yeah, I agree. It's the wrong solution. I mean, like for instance, there's a group, a, a national group called I think it's called Girls Who Code, that specifically mm. teaches girls from like you know elementary school and high school to teach, uh, to teach them how to code. Um, and I think it's a really cool effort. What's ironic, I think, is that that exists in the atmosphere of like radical progressive thinking, and that they don't mesh, even though they seem like they would. Mm. And it's it's kind of hard to explain, but I think I'm, basically I'm agreeing with you. I think the effort that's being put forward is has got the wrong emphasis, and that there should be uh, efforts along those lines to specifically teach girls and women skills where they might not otherwise like if they get marginalized or pigeonholed in college, but they want to learn this, but they're having a hard time. Mm. That should exist, but feminism actually I think makes or well feminism progressive radical progressive thinking makes that harder to do. Hmm. that's my point yeah and i think i think the the emphasis needs to be put on that they want to do yeah. you know that's right. that's the yeah. other thing i mean you know the the kind of the perspective that's being kind of pushed is that you know a brain is a brain everybody's you know equal um therefore everybody's the same so you know why shouldn't we have um you know a, a a good, you know, 50-50 split between the sexes and each race should be represented and then an equal portion, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I think uh, what uh, DeMore was pointing out, and I think that he's right, um, having looked at a lot of this research, is that they that that's a myth. That's not that's not real. That's a fallacy. There certainly yeah. are differences between the sexes. And that's not, and he emphasizes this as well, that's not to say that all women are like this and all men are like this. Obviously, there are women who are going to be very good coders, who are going to be very good in tech, science, all those kinds of things. Um, so you can't, you know, you can't just paint everybody with the same brush, um, right. which it is essentially what's being emphasized in this yeah. Google culture. Yeah. I think that's the, that's the fallacy is that you, you can't have these discussions anymore without painting people with a broad brush, even if you don't mean to. You're, it, it's mm-hmm. inferred that you're doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Look. Women who uh, hold tech positions at Google is about 20% from what I read, and that is close to the number of women who graduate with computer science degrees, which is 18%. 
So that is reflective of how things really are. So to expect a 50-50 split between the sexes is totally not realistic. There's never going to be a 50-50 split on anything yeah. because everybody has different abilities. Right. Yeah. Well, that's Yeah, I heard it described in an interesting way. There was a, um, a recent uh, radio lab, and I'll try to do long story short. I wanted to pull a clip out, but it was hard to get something that really like encapsulated the story that was short. Uh, so there's a... Um, uh, a, a, a woman in Italy who wanted to be a gondolier, right? But gondolier, it's like uh, that that group of gondoliers in Italy is a very male-dominated group, and they didn't want a woman to be a gondolier because it's just like 800-year tradition, blah, blah, blah. Well, <clears throat> eventually she got the position. She got licensed. It all worked out, a bunch of difficulties. They went to do this story, and it turns out that she actually – had been born a woman, but really wanted to be a man, felt like she was a man. She wanted to transition. And so that's where she was saying, like, it blew up this story that this is the first female gondolier. And when they went to talk to her, she was like, I, I don't want to be a female. <laughs> <You know? clears throat> so it was, it was very interesting. And this person, I guess, uh, you know, being respectful and all, I should say he, because he did transition and actually had, a sex change operation at which point this whole thing just kind of like disappeared because everybody was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and this person was saying in the interview that, uh, of course there's differences between gender. If there weren't, there would be no transition. There'd be no desire to be something yeah. else. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. it's like, yeah. I, I was, I was born a woman, but I really feel like I'm a man. So I'm going to have this operation and become a man. And that's my choice in my life. But she, you know, was saying if there were no difference, I would never have had that impulse. So mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I had kind of a, a, well, it's not quite a similar story, but it was kind of an interesting story as well. And this was like back in the 90s. And I'm, I'm sorry, my, my memory's a little hazy on it, but there was some kind of controversy about um, a woman who wanted to join the uh, a local fire department. And the the long and the short of it was that she couldn't pass the physical tests that they um, require of all their recruits, um, you know, which is basically like, you know, can you carry, you know, a 180 pound man down a ladder kind of thing or, or something along those lines. And, you know, she couldn't do it. So I think, I can't remember. I think she pressed like, like charges against them. And basically the, the lawyer was being interviewed and, and was saying that, well, it's not fair that she's expect to expected to perform at the same level as a man they should have a uh, women's level that she can compete at, you know, or that she, well, compete is probably the wrong word, but, you know, that she can try at. And right. it's like, you know, the interviewer was saying, well, we're talking about a situation where you're going to have to save someone's life, mm-hmm. you know, and if you're not physically able to do that, then don't you think that we should kind of look beyond the kind of uh, um, the, the, you know, gender issue here and just make the requirement that you're able to, to, to do what needs to be done to save this person's life, which is your job. And the the lawyer was just like absolutely refused to take that on board in any way. I was kind of like, no, it is it's not fair. Um, you know, this 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 woman should not have to um, compete at this level. So to me, it was just like right right there. Just that seemed ridiculous. Like when you're yeah, talking about saving is. someone's life, obviously you need to be able to do that. Like that, yeah. you know. I mean, maybe they could hire her on in a different capacity or something like that, but. I mean, if you're having to carry heavy people out of windows, you need to have the physical strength to do that. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Maybe they could only send her out on calls where there's small people in danger. <laughs> <laughs> <But> <laughs> yeah. I think 
I think part of what's so maddening about a lot of this is that like, like what you're pointing out like that, there is ridiculous on his face, but that's seen as a way to, to, to make things, uh, how do I, to move towards equality by emphasizing inequality. It really is like Mm -hmm. cognitive dissonance manifested Mm -hmm. in reality. It's really bizarre. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. like, uh, hot shots in California where they go fight, fight the forest fires, you know, Mm -hmm. they're statistically very, very small percentage of women that shoot for that job. Um, but you know, if a woman wants to do that job, she should be told, no, no, like, there you go. End of discussion. Mm -hmm. It's, I feel like, you know, yeah. I mean, it's nothing against women. It's just like, you know, if, 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 you know, if, if a woman came along who wanted to be a firefighter, who was able to pass, you know, what needed to be passed, then by all means, of course. Right. Yeah, it's pretty bizarre. So I think, you know, it's easy to use the extreme examples like firefighting or, uh, you know, what, like cutting lumber in northern Canada, you know, Mm -hmm. stuff like, you know, there are easy examples. I think tech is a different that it's a little more of a touchy example because it it, it comes less down to physical prowess and more on mental Mm -hmm. prowess. But again, the point being not necessarily who is more or less capable of doing that job, but who wants to. You know, mm-hmm. and, well, and that's uh, what he was. That's what he was talking about in the memo. Yeah. yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Well, yeah, so. men do most of the dangerous jobs in society anyway. I mean, they're the lumberjacks, the coal miners. They work on the oil rigs. They're the garbage collectors um, for the most part. And you don't really hear women complaining about those types of jobs. <laughs> But yeah. I guess the, the quote unquote sexier jobs or the jobs that don't require a lot of brawn, that's when women get up in arms about inequality, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it bums, it bums me out that the, uh, that the equality movement is hurting equality because I feel like that's mm-hmm. why I wanted to talk about the word progressive and what it means. I feel like I'm a progressive person, you know. But I would certainly not be labeled that way. Um, well, maybe we need to define what progressive actually means. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because when I think of progressive, I think like, um, you know, uh, equality of opportunity, not not equality yeah. of outcome. Because that, that's kind of a buzzword that's flying around yeah. right now. And that's like, if you enforce equality of outcome, uh, you get rid of the idea of merit or skill, you know, which mm-hmm. is... Uh, uh, hurting society i think if we if we lose that idea that you would work very hard to become skilled at something and earn you know the respect that you deserve in that field whatever it is because you you worked hard at it um Mm -hmm. quality of outcome totally erases that and just means everybody gets the same thing no matter what yeah and now there are right but now there are some cases where i do think that that's like okay so everybody should have access to clean water so, you know, you, should you say that's equality of outcome? No, because that's a natural right. But then it's like there's where you get into the the finer points of what is what is a right and what is a privilege. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I guess any I'm referring to anything that results from the application of skill that you learned how to do. Yeah. 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 Maybe well, it's a good time to talking about like the ridiculousness of it all that uh, – <laughs> That clip, the breastfeeding clip. Do you want to play that? <laughs> <laughs> Our listeners may have heard this when it came out. Yeah, this is a uh, Tucker Carlson interviewing a woman on Fox News. 
Well, a new study in the journal Pediatrics describes it as, quote, unethical to call breastfeeding natural because doing so might undermine feminism. The study says, quote, coupling nature with motherhood can inadvertently support biologically deterministic arguments about the roles of men and women in the family. Kathy Aru is a journalist and publisher of Catalina Magazine, and she joins us now. Kathy, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. So this is kind of a baffling story. One, that people are inserting politics into breastfeeding, which seems like it would be off limits for politics. But, right. but two, why it would be controversial to call breastfeeding natural. If, if breastfeeding is not natural, what is natural? Well, breastfeeding doesn't come naturally, as pediatricians will tell you. It's not exactly easy. There are lactation specialists out there. There's a whole industry sure. out there. So breastfeeding isn't exactly natural. It doesn't come naturally naturally to women. So what they're saying is, uh, which I'm so happy there's a study out there that are finally letting women not have this guilt trip, that it's okay to hand the formula over to daddy, to the men, and it's natural for a man to feed a baby. So they're saying that only a woman able to feed a child is, is inappropriate. It's unethical and inappropriate. And I'm so, what? so glad well, that it, women it, are left off, let off the hook. Finally. I mean, it's not unethical or inappropriate, whatever those words mean. I mean, it can, it's the opinion of some physicians that breast milk is superior to formula, and other people disagree, and it's a, it's a debate um, that has raged for quite some time. But it's, what you seem to be saying is it is bad because it suggests that women have a different role in right. motherhood than men do, but they do because women are the only people biologically capable of bearing children. Is that now a controversial observation? Well, but, well, the study is saying, though, that women are not the only ones who could feed the children. So that's what they're trying to say. It is natural for others to be able to feed the children. So the whole burden is not on the mother. So that's what they're trying to say with this okay, study. Okay, well, that's, that's, I mean, but that's, okay, first of all, of course that's true. Right. Uh, of course. And, but, so but that's kind of a decision. That. What do you mean? They're, I don't think women are stupid. Oh, well, there are and some I think, women that actually, I, I I interviewed a pediatrician that had a mother that had a child starving for two weeks. She was not able to lactate. She was not able to produce breast right. milk for two weeks. The baby had lost weight, and she refused to give that baby formula for fear that her baby was not going to get the perfect breast milk and okay. would have to turn to formula. The okay. baby oh, ended I think up that's, in the NICU. Th that's a totally fair point, and that's right. a shame when people feel like and people you know, do there's feel no like alternative. That. Perhaps there are some. But that's not what's really going on here. This is gender politics intruding on the personal decisions that parents make. Well, we and need it, it's though. also we, blurring we the lines. Them. It's suggesting, by the way, that men can breastfeed which I don't think they can. It's suggesting can that men could, uh, well, I don't know, but it's suggesting well, that men... I do men, know. The answer <laughs> is they can't. So. I have four children, I can, uh, I can I tell you. I don't know. I don't know your secrets, but um, no. What they're saying is that men can feed children. They're finally putting a study out there that's saying that breast milk is not the only way to go. There are other ways, okay, and but, other but things Kathy, are you're, natural. You're, 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 dodging, you're, you're, natural. Dodging what I'm, you're dodging what I'm saying. Look, I, I don't, I, strictly speaking, I don't disagree with you. Thank you. But the debate is whether breast milk is better or worse than formula. And again, that is a scientific debate that nutritionists and physicians can have. Right. This is feminist groups saying, how dare you suggest that it's better for women to feed babies because that somehow ties them biologically to the act of procreation. And my only point is, feminists, as usual, are 
helping to obscure biological realities because they don't like them. And that's an attack on science, it's and I'm a, against it's that. A, it's a study that's just saying it's inappropriate to say that breast milk is the only natural way to feed a child. A man could naturally feed a child in other ways. Well, actually, it's, a man can't naturally feed a child. Well, a man can't produce can formula. I mean, baby like, and naturally is... give it uh, formula. Natural. It's natural. Loving is natural. Okay. It's just... Can you just take three steps back no. and acknowledge that there's something pretty awful about inserting gender politics into something as beautiful I, I, and intimate as the first days of a child's life? You know and what? maybe parents could say, hey, back and off. It's and not just... beautiful. Breastfeeding is not beautiful. Breastfeeding, it causes so many headaches, and, and it can be so horrible. And it, as a pediatrician told me, it doesn't come naturally for so many women. So this study, I think, is wonderful because so w women can finally step back and say, Wow, it's okay to hand the bottle and the baby over to dad okay. or, or my girlfriend or okay, whatever well, the case may be. Half of that sentence is correct, of course. It Thanks. is absolutely okay to do that. Thanks. But I'm just wondering, final question for okay. you, because this is giving me a little bit of a headache. I'm sorry. No offense to you. No, no, it's not your fault, but just the whole subject is so crazy. If it's not natural to breastfeed, how did like the species get to where it is now? Like, why didn't we die out several millennia ago? I think we found other ways like formula to feed the babies. So, and okay, years so ago, like in, during the medieval period, like where did you get the Similac then? Well, well I, yeah, exactly. I'm not quite sure, but this breastfeeding oh. phenomenon has been going on for the last 10 years. But before that, our mothers weren't all exactly into breastfeeding. You had the, the feminism, the, the revolution, the 70s. Women did not breastfeed like they do nowadays. So breastfeeding okay. has not always been the answer. Man, I'm glad my kids are older enough to weigh into this stuff. Uh, Kathy, thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me. What a nutcase. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and like several people in the chat pointed out, she does not know what natural means. No, no. That's, that's a, I think that's a clear, I mean, it's a, it's a good example, but it's a clear-cut case with somebody who want, was going to be on TV and was not prepared well, I posted the link to the video because you got to watch her facial expressions. I mean, she yeah. just looks like she a looks raving bizarre. She lunatic. looks crazy. Yeah. <laughs> she got, it's just like the whole uh, when uh, Ben Affleck went off on, uh, oh, what's his name, Sam Harris. I don't know if you guys heard that call it because he was talking about um, uh, some uh, not well understood details about Islam, specifically about like Wahhabi radical Islam. And Affleck went off, called him a racist and that he was disgusting, you know, and and he was very calm. Uh, Sam Harris was very calm and was just kind of like, okay, no, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not a racist. I'm talking about like, you know, historical data. And he, Affleck lost the plot and just like this was just like off the rails. And you could tell he was trying to backpedal and like maybe get back to making his point, but he had to still <laughs> seem firm, you know, and it, and that's when people, I think just lose it. Um, and so you just start throwing out the words like disgusting, racist and stuff like that. And then you just, you, you, any reasonable person watching the conversation is like, all right, we're, it's done. You know, <laughs> just her use of language too, the, the suffering of women and now they're free. And I mean, it's so out yeah, there. It's burden. just really out there. And she well, apparently thinks that evolution solid. started since the... Ten years the ago. Six, yeah, ten years ago. <laughs> yeah. Evolution started when they came up with breast formula, breast milk formula. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is the thing there was no evolution before that. 
Yeah. That, I mean, she's, she's clearly an idiot. Let's just not make, you know, we don't need to beat around the bush. She's a total idiot. Uh, it, but I guess what I'm, what was frustrating about this is she is not representative of, you know, there are uh, some women who have been, how do I put this, fighting for uh, the ability of women to do certain things historically that, you know, that they were stopped from doing before the glass ceiling, all these things, you know, that are not part of this new second wave kind of radical feminism. So that's where I think it hurts it. Women like this hurt the, the actual idea of, of, of women having equality in society. <laughs> it's a problem. Yeah, it just, it just seems to be yet another case where they're trying to erase all differences between the yeah. sexes. Yeah. Like that there is no such thing as difference. And, you know, despite the fact that men don't have breasts, you know, women shouldn't be burdened with uh, having to take care of the breastfeeding. Like it just, it, it just <laughs> was absolutely ridiculous to me. You know, yeah. I think like, you know, you get a, you get to a point in this kind of argument that there are no differences between the sexes where it just becomes absolutely insane, like absolutely absurd to, you know, anyway. <laughs> Yeah, yeah well, never mind the fact that women are the only ones who can biologically give birth and breastfeed. I mean, just well, throw all that out of the window. <laughs> Men should be able to do that, too. No. Yeah, nature is sexist. You should know that. Yeah, totally. Um, it, yeah. It's, it's, not even, it's not just a denial, but it's, it's actively fighting against objective reality. That's what's so sort of disturbing, especially about that clip. Because um, when you see she is like a fanatical lunatic, um, but it's it's what's most disturbing is that people like this are the ones who are in charge of policy. Mm. They're, they're the ones mm. who are basically in charge of child educa- child education. Um, you know, all all of these things that that really affect so many people, um, and and this kind of fanaticism is actually grown to be accepted as the norm. Um, and it, it's a complete dismissal of, of anything. I mean, it, there's zero common sense. And, and you could see, I mean, Tucker Carlson in that, in that clip, I think it got to the point where he just realized that there was no point because you cannot get through to someone like that. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but when, they, when they have such a, a wide sort of audience, that's when it becomes a real problem. Because usually, you know, like in the past, these people would be seen in the society as, oh, these people are just crazy. <laughs> you know what I mean? But when when they actually get on a platform and can start like can start spewing their their nonsense and people believe that that's that's really dangerous. You know, that's yeah. a really good point, because I think, uh, uh, again, with my frustration about this woman being taken, you know, I, and I'm not saying you guys are saying this, you know, obviously, it, you know, her <laughs> saying that men feeding with formula is natural and women feeding with their breasts is not natural. It's just obviously ridiculous on his face. Uh, but the fact she got on the media, you know, and, and a lot of, I think the media is, uh, whether or not they're consciously complicit, they want sensational stuff. So they're going to go to the most sensational thing and they're going to say, "Wow, this person wants to be on the show and they're super dumb. Let's do it. It'll be great. (laughs) You know, (laughs) that, you know, and then, and then it gets into people saying, oh, now feminists think breastfeeding is not natural. And, yeah. you know, a lot of people do that all over the place. And that's that's frustrating to me is this whole, like, the environment that we're in now, there's no, uh, no bedrock, like, no habitat for um, reasonable, long-form conversation. That's my point. Mm. <laughs> well, and there's also and, and other probably- stuff tied in there with the um, people that wrote the 
study that she's talking about, what were they called, Martucci and Barnhill, about the whole breastfeeding natural thing. It actually came out a year before she was even on Tuckle Carlson, and then kind of came back into the media. But this whole idea that saying breastfeeding is natural is bad because because then it brings the whole vaccination question into it. So it's it's kind of like mm-hmm. they had a double-edged sword in the whole thing to push the agenda. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I hadn't thought about that, but that's a good point. Because, I mean, breastfeeding, they've shown in many studies that it actually confers natural immunity to the exactly. infant. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so that so, was kind of their background behind why they wrote the study and why they were giving it to pediatricians. You know, if you can sway mothers away from breastfeeding, this whole vaccine thing won't be such an issue. It's very sneaky. Yeah. <laughs> but why evil. they picked her? Wow. <laughs> Well, that's the yeah. thing. Like, I don't think she really <laughs> or why she picked them. them, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. it's I don't I don't think she really got a lot of converts. Like I think most people watching that would kind of be like, "This is a ridiculous argument," but yeah. it's kind of like it if you know if when people come come into um, contact with the, with these kinds of ideas that haven't been taken to that extreme, I think sometimes it can be quite um, seducing. I guess let's say, um, you know, I want equality. Of course, I want equality. Well, you know. Just take that kind of to it's it's completely illogical extreme, and you've got a woman like this on Tucker Carlson saying that breastfeeding isn't natural. <laughs> and and the problem is as well is that like historically these kinds of fanatic sort of crazy ideas and stuff that first they are seen as crazy, but gradually as they get more and more um, coverage <laughs> and, and, and and things start to happen outside of that, then then they gradually become incorporated into the minds of the people. What would have normally been seen as a crazy thing is suddenly the norm. And like you see that mm. with the with the pedophilia and stuff that's that's happening like exponentially growing now is that mm. somehow it's normal for children to go on catwalks wearing lingerie, like five-year-olds yeah. in lingerie. That's... I mean, 20, 30 years ago, the, the people would have been put in prison. But mm. because of all of the media influence and the music industry and the movies and everything like that, gradually it's just become accepted. It's absolutely disgusting. But you see the same thing with the gender equality stuff and it, how it how it's gradually just gotten more and more weight behind it. And then all of a sudden it's like there's people who actually support this and there's a lot of them. Um, mm. And yeah, it's it's crazy to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, everything's broken down into sound bites. Uh, so, you know, it, it's hard to know people anymore. You know, yeah. um, so the, it, we're, we're kind of, uh, we're in our conversation, we're forced into generalizations, which is really unfortunate. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it, in, in language specifically, I mean, not like in your heart, you know, in what you feel and think, but in how it comes out, it, it, it's like the, the language police are again hurting their cause. I think a lot of people that there are people that I know who are involved in the just straight up, you know, like social justice movement, you would call them a social justice warrior activist, things like that, who I know are nice, compassionate, reasonable people. They exist, but you know, it's, it's these labels. So if, if that label didn't exist, I would say, Oh, this person I know wants African Americans to have equal rights in society. There you go. That's what they're about. That's it. You know, 
But now, because of the way things exist, that person is called a social justice warrior, and all of these other labels come along with that. Uh, it's the the same. I, I run into the same thing too in conversations. You know, <clears throat> as an example, let's say you want to talk about Trump. I, I you know, I I think he's like uh, kind of childish and kind of dumb, uh, but I don't think he's Satan. You know, so mm-hmm. it's like uh, when you get into that kind of discussion if you want to know what i think come and talk to me but don't take a phrase Mm -hmm. that i say and take it out of context but that taking out of context happens in almost everything that that every conversation that happens now because all these conversations are happening online and nobody has context available to them (laughs) you know it's almost become a completely lost thing it comes back to the google memo as well i mean how many people actually read it you know and how many people just read the headlines and like read that it was a diversive screed or like a rant or this crazy racist sexist asshole put out this thing and he worked at google and now he got fired and that's good yeah you know it's it's like if you actually read the thing it's incredibly reasonable and it's well it's it's thought out you know it's like i'm not necessarily saying that it's great but um you know and that i agree with every single part of it well i agree with most of it actually but um but yeah i mean you know most people hear about it but they don't actually um look into it any further and kind of get a more nuanced opinion of it. Right. And that's, well, that's what's saying that that's the thing too. Like Doug, where you just said you agree with most of it, that, that doesn't come across to people, you know, like because you said you agree with some of it. Now you agree with all of it. Yeah. 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 And I'm well, one, one of the, of the, so, um, the very incendiary things that he said in this manifesto was that women are more interested in people and men are more interested in things. Yeah, that seems mm. to be what everyone's going back to. <laughs> but it's actually true. And it actually influences <laughs> people's job choices. Like men are more likely to go into engineering where they're fiddling around with, you know, taking things apart, putting them back together and building things. And women are more interested in working with people and forming relationships. Women make up nearly all of nursing. There's some male nurses too, but... Same with education, yeah. social work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The and I can kind of... The problem with the, what you're forgetting to realize is that this is the uh, the result of the suppressive patriarchy. Um, and it is 100% uh, cultural influence, which, which is behind this. Um, right. Of course, we know this isn't true, but that's the idea. Is <laughs> well, that's the, the all basic of thing about societal. gender theory. Like, there's yeah. no biological differences between men and women. Everything that makes men and women different is because of social constructs, constructs and how they were raised and socialized when they were growing up. There's really no yeah. difference between yeah. men and women. Oh, and that's the cognitive dissonance. Like, so why the pronouns then? You know, <laughs> <laughs> He and she, I am, you know, that, that, that drives me nuts. You know, if the, if we're trying to get rid of the differences, quit coming up with new words that emphasize the differences. Uh, <laughs> but it, yeah. And that's the thing with context too. I have absolutely no problem with someone who was born a female and wants, you know, wants to be a, a man and says, can you please call me? He, I will do that. Thank you very much. You're welcome. You know, it's totally fine. I don't, I honestly don't even give it a second thought. But it's when you, you like start changing the language and coming up with pronouns for 
and uh, pounding people over the head with it basically is what they're yeah, doing. Yeah, and enforcing mm-hmm. it in like virtue signaling and morality signaling and all this kind of stuff. If you're not going to go along with their plan, um, you know, it's like, no, no, I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm not going to do that. Uh, you know, and if you think that I'm an asshole, then let's get into a conversation and you can find out whether or not I really am an asshole. Uh, mm. Yeah, and I think that what they don't realize is when you start trying to force people into doing things, it makes them push back even harder. So people who might have been okay with it on a case-by-case basis probably would now be like, no way, I'm not going for that at all. And they would, it just sows division. I mean, the the fundamental problem with the... I mean, can you hear my mic, by the way? Because it's saying that it's low. Ah, Okay. So I was just going to say, the fundamental problem with the whole gender theory and social social constructiveness thing um, is that basically it's wrong. Um, That's just factual. It is completely wrong. Um, There are very um, well-understood, well-documented... Um, differences between men and women like we we can see this just in the phenotype you know men look different to women men have penises <laughs> women don't women have breasts and stuff but when you actually go to the level of the brain the brains are completely different mm-hmm. um i remember it, reading one of the articles it says that scientists um can actually determine the uh the gender of the brain um with like 80 percent accuracy um so i was was reading yeah 93 percent was it even more uh uh, precise analyzing tools Ah, okay well there you go um i was reading a study earlier um and the the researchers basically says a review of the studies using these modalities over the last 26 years suggests that while brain structure function and neurochemistry of healthy men and women are similar in many ways there are important differences so uh just to sort of list off some of the differences um men have greater overall brain volume than women so their brains are actually bigger And that's um, when you adjust for size differences and stuff. Um, and women actually get greater global cerebral blood flow to their brain <laughs> than men. Um, so you have, yeah, all the women out there, they have better blood flow to the brain in general. Um, there is like, there's massive differences in uh, uh, sort of hormone and neurotransmitter called vasopressin. So uh, men actually have way more of these vasopressin neurons um, in the amygdala and a part of the brain called the stria terminalis. Um, and they have really dense projections coming out of this area. And that's when compared to the females. And so um, it's actually been shown in all different vertebrae species, uh, the vasopressin and its equivalent in other mammals um, has been linked to territorial aggression. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this this whole idea, this sort of stereotype that males are typically typically aggressive and they defend the tribe and stuff, there's a very sort of physiological basis for this. Um, mm-hmm. It's not simply just constructed by society or what we're told. This is how we're built to work. Um, so... There's also a couple other differences. Well, there's loads of differences, but generally men have larger amygdalas and hypothalamuses. Um, they also have like higher tissue density in so many regions of the brain. I'm not going to list them all off because there's so many, but there's like the bilateral anterior par- parahippocampal gyri, 
blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Whereas women, on the other hand, have smaller versions of those things, but they also have, they actually have larger hippocampuses and larger cordates. Um, and so it's been theorized that the, in fact, no, sorry, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Um, males have higher densities, which is mostly limited to the left side of the limbic system. And this is really interesting because females have larger volumes with, um, with more pronounced areas in the right hemisphere. And this is related to language. And so if you look at psychological studies and things, it will show that women tend to um, be more endowed with the ability to communicate, to form close bonds with others and to... Um, well, I mean, they can diffuse conflicts like it's it's well known, like, uh, you know, men can basically jump into a fist fight within seconds, whereas women are generally really good at talking things through. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, and, and that's 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 completely um, found in the neurochemistry. That's how the, their brain is designed to work for whatever reason. Um, the the. Uh, the hormone, the hormones and the, the neurotransmitters in the brain are completely different as well. So women have higher levels of serotonin and dopamine and GABA. Um, and it's been theorized that basically all of these differences are because of the different sex hormones and other things relating to that. So high levels of estrogen found in women will cause the brain to develop in this certain way. Um, high levels of testosterone will cause the brain to develop in a more male-oriented way. And, of course, this isn't completely set in stone because you can have different levels. Um, but generally, this is a rule. Um, and so the, the, the authors of the study actually concluded that sex differences in brain structure are a product of the interaction of biological and environmental influences on brain development. And that these, these factors are essentially what control behavior um and so all of these things that we're told um that are generally you know um societal roles that we play in stuff part of it is that but actually a lot of it is actually due to the the hormones and the chemicals and the way that our brain is structured um and so all of this research this is kind of some of the stuff that this guy was talking about the google memo um but all of it seems to have been just completely wiped under the rug and ignored by these gender fanatics who are basically denying the the feasibility of the the science yeah yeah i can almost kind of I can kind of sympathize with them in some way. Like maybe sympathize is the wrong word, but I can kind of see where they're coming from on some level. Because it's like they're, one of their arguments is that all of these differences that are being pointed out could be used as a platform for sexism. Saying, oh, you're a woman, therefore you have this different brain structure, therefore you can't do this. But I think what the, you know, they're missing the nuance of the situation. And you know, it's emphasized over and over again in the literature that this doesn't apply to individuals. You know, this is a general trend, but in, individually, you can have a woman who doesn't uh, necessarily conform to all those different brain structures. Like, there's variation within this. So I think, um, you know, the idea of looking at the anatomy of a brain and going, oh, well, look, see, you, uh, you can't do coding because of this. Well, that's not necessarily true. Um, yeah. So I think, uh, you know, it, it can be seen as a threat because it kind of, you know... <clears throat> They might look at this uh, this kind of research and say, well, this is just going to put us right back in the kitchen barefoot and pregnant. You know, uh, we're not going to be able to uh, to move forward in our lives in the way that we want to. And I don't think that that's actually the case. 
So I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that, that when you, you generalize too much and you take nuance out of the situation, it can become threatening for some people. I wonder if too, that, uh, discussing biology in this area, if, bear with me if I try to explain what I'm thinking, uh, if it reminds people on a subconscious level of like, I don't know, eugenics, you know, where Mm. the Nazis like talked a lot about the biological differences between Aryans and other races and how that made them special or, you know, like how, uh, slave owners would talk about, well, the, the frontal lobe of the African is less developed, you know, in that kind of language. I wonder if that's what people like, if that's what it feels like to them. So they're scared. So they react with fear instead Mm. of listening listening it out because like you said it certainly could some people could uh try to use data like that as a basis for their own prejudice whatever it might be yeah and, uh but you know those they we should we should shun those people <laughs> yeah, <basically laughs> you know those those are not those are not <laughs> nice people and that's what it should come down to that person uh is uh short-sighted and, and mean-spirited and uh racist or bigoted or whatever you want to call it um, so you should see them that way, but don't paint everybody else, you know, with the same brush. It, yeah. It's that individual, like case by case kind of thing. That's <clears throat> I was cracking up a little bit, um, uh, Elliot, listening to what you were saying, thinking that statisticians must be going nuts right now <laughs> because huh. this is all about the women are more likely or less likely to do this or statistically men are more able to do certain things than women and vice versa. Statistically women can do things that men are not able to do. Uh, in, in it's all, we're just discussing statistics, but people are inferring opinion from statistics now mm. when you try to pull it up. Yeah. Cause there is the opposite end of the extreme too. You know, if somebody is rejecting, all this uh, this scientific uh, evidence, and um, you know, it, it's almost like they, you could end up on the on the flip side where um, you know women are kind of being pressured into positions that they aren't necessarily um, suited for. Um, you know, like pushed into doing you know since it's the the topic du jour, like doing tech. You know, and and maybe feeling bad that they aren't excelling at it or aren't doing uh, you know enjoying it. Um, and it's not what they would have necessarily chosen, but it's kind of like they're taking a, a feminist position, like, I should be able to do this as well as um, any of these men can do it. And, yeah. I th- you know, I think you really have to take everything on an individual basis. And, like, if, you have, you know, if you're a woman and you're drawn to coding, more power to you. Like, if you're good at it and you can excel and get yourself a good job, then by all means, that's, the, that's what you should be doing, obviously. And don't yeah. worry about the fact that, you know, statistically, you know, you're less likely to excel at this. But, um, yeah, you know, it, it really is, it has to be taken on a case-by-case basis. Well, Jordan Peterson talked about that a little bit in one of his videos about how, you know, women do have all these opportunities now. And he was speaking specifically about lawyers mm-hmm. and how they, you know, they're the top of their class. They're super intelligent. But then they work, you know, on godly hours and they hit 30 and they kind of have this whole crisis of like how they're going to balance family and their career, you know. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. I think that has to be taken into the equation as well. And that's kind Mm -hmm. of what I got with reading the Google information is that whole idea of like, yes, so we're 
capable. I'm saying mm -hmm. we, meaning women, we can, you know, go to college and do all these things, but is that contribute to your quality of life in the end? Does it make you mm -hmm. quote unquote happy? And he was talking about how these women could make these, you know, hundred thousand dollar a year salaries and marry men that make even more than them, but at some point they come to this fork in the road about their brain and body and those internal drives to mm. you know have a family or a home or if that makes sense i, I just yeah. felt like that really resonated that you know okay you have equal opportunity i mean i grew up in the 70s with a mom that was very driven and i so i saw that and i for a long time was like i, I get the feminist thing you know women should work but th then everything else in her life took a back seat mm-hmm and I wouldn't say she was happy, like she had succeeded in all her goals, but that doesn't mean she was fulfilled. That makes sense. Yeah. And I think yeah. that kind of comes down to one of the things I read a couple of times in the, the different articles we were reading for this is that men kind of um, are driven in a lot of cases by status. And, you know, that there was one example given, I think it might have been in that same Jordan Peterson video, actually, that, you know, when the guy who's sitting there in the corporate boardroom and, you know, comparing the the size of his bonus to the bonus of the guy next to him it's like it's not because he needs the money it's because he's like you know that's that's like you know a a, a pretty good indicator right there of um who's best you know who got the bigger bonus and i think yeah, that well, probably women don't really have those same drives when it comes right down to it like they're not necessarily looking for um a status upgrade um in some cases maybe but uh but generally speaking so I think that, yeah, they probably do come to a place where they're kind of like, they're not driven by that status thing and they've kind of made made it where they want to make it. And it's like, well, maybe I should just quit all this and like start a family. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not, um, not going to try and reduce this to hormones and stuff because <laughs> you can't do that, of course. <laughs> you know what I'm like. But, uh, but it's interesting that... that the women um, who have been shown to basically exert more dominant characteristics um, have actually been shown to have higher testosterone levels um, and it's similar to the men. So there's, there's several researchers who think that this is one of the effects of the testosterone um, is that it, it provides a sort of drive. Um, it's that sort of competitive. Um... Hello? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. It went quiet. Um, yeah, it's kind of like this competitive drive um, that, that sort of uh, is it's coming from the, from the testosterone, whereas they found that the, the women who have lower levels of testosterone and more balanced sort of estrogen and progesterone sort of female hormones, um, they... Um, they, they are less likely to participate in dominant behaviors or competitiveness. And then they, they seem actually to be more interested in, in, in sort of having a conversation and getting to know people, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, there's, uh, there's, there's, there's this one researcher. I read some of her book. Uh, I forgot her name now, but she wrote a book called The Female Brain. And she basically talks about being. how like, Ah, Luan Brizardine, yeah. Okay, so she basically talks about how um, in in certain classes like mathematics or science classes in high school, um, you have the the. It's generally in those classes you have males who 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 do better, um, and that's not again that's a very general rule. It's 
it comes down to individuality and there's it can be different for each person but as a general rule males seem to excel in that in those fields um as we've already said um and she she kind of put it this way she says well when you know because apparently according to the statistics children um of both genders so males and females up until the point of puberty um are equivalent in academic on on sort of academic levels in all subjects um whereas when when they hit puberty um the the males tend to excel in the science and mathematics um and she was basically talking about how what that maybe due to is the is the testosterone which causes them to be competitive with their classmates so for instance you know they they can happily dedicate hours to solving some mathematical equation or working out some scientific theorem or something whereas women or or teenage women when when they start getting the flood of female hormones like estrogen and stuff um they're basically more in, in, interested in bonding with others and um and 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 it's it, it, there's there's more of a drive to form relationships um with their friends and get to know each other and stuff and so um and she basically so she says that there's likely a hormonal component in 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 accounting for those characteristics that we see and that's not a bad thing it's it's like i, I just don't understand why there's this drive it, why there's people trying to say that men and women should be the same at every single thing that they do it mm. doesn't make sense you know it, it boggles my mind because men and women are different and it's good you, why do we have yeah. to fight against that and as if it's some bad thing you know it's unnatural apparently well why can't we just accept that okay men are generally better at some things and women are better at other things and that's why they get into relationships so they can be mm. good at all things relationship is about it boggles the mind honestly thank you dr elliot yeah. <laughs> elliot are you able to drop your mic right now you should drop it <laughs> drop your mic and walk away <laughs> yeah that's but i think this is all part of the the societal <laughs> drive to turn us all into automa- automatons robots robots to robots who have sex with robots that's another big thing that's coming up it's it's a war against nature and it's a war against reality I don't know of any other way to put it. I mean, that's what it's coming down to. Is it really, is it really a war? That's what I'm asking. Like, are there enough, like, distinguishable sides to to call it a war? (laughs) There's the vocal minority who's up in arms about the smallest little thing. And then there's a general population who really doesn't care. That's my that's my point. That's what I yeah. mean. Is it really a war? Because we got like nine out of ten people are gonna be like, dude, get away from me. I don't care about this. You know, I gotta go to work. <laughs> you know. Yeah, but this small minority is actively pushing their worldview onto other people, and yeah. that's the part that's warlike to me. Mm-hmm. It's okay if they believe you. that, but leave other people alone. Yeah, I hear you there. I hear. You. <laughs> Well, I think that there's a, a hard lesson coming because if people are actually trying to fight nature, they're going to lose. Mm-hmm. Or so it or seems we'll, to me. Or we'll get some kind of a bizarre response from nature, like the Lone Star tick that makes people allergic to meat. <laughs> oh, we're going yeah. like, to get like a, like a virus that forces you to be a certain gender. <laughs> 
You know, you know what I was thinking uh, today before the show. Um, been thinking a lot about it recently, but it it would kind of make a lot of sense as to why we're kind of seeing what we're seeing now. Is that over the past sort of I don't know, ever since the seventies or sixties, this sort of feminist second wave feminism or whatever, it's gradually been leading up to this point, uh, slowly but surely it seems, and. Um, and it's kind of like what I was thinking to myself was to what degree is is how can I say this? Right. OK, so we've got all of these gender, gender bending chemicals, as someone likes to say, in our environment. We've got so many toxic substances which have been shown in the lab to completely destroy, um, you know, gender um, characteristics in animals. So you've got things like BPA and glyphosate, which are turning um, turning frogs and stuff. They're switching genders partway e- through endocrine as they're developing. They, yeah. yeah, the endocrine disruptors. Yeah, en- en- yeah, endocrine disruptors. So basically you've got a hell load of end- endocrine, endocrine disruptors in the environment. And it's kind of like, okay, so... We uh, we've gradually become more exposed to this. And so you've got now the sort of millennial generation who are probably if you look at their bodies, they're probably packed full of these substances. Um, And while they're developing, while they're, you know, developing into a man or developing into a woman, I wonder how many how much these chemicals are affecting um, the way that they perceive their sexuality and things. Um, And so Mm. I. I, I tend to think that a lot of the the environmental sort of factors to do with the toxicity is is one of the contributing factors as to why all of this gender equality stuff is actually being so readily accepted by the by the youth. Um, because I, I tend to think that maybe a lot of them who um, who perceive that they are of a different gender are actually packed full of these sort of feminizing or masculinizing hormones, which are basically disrupting um, their, their sexuality and, and their physiology. Um, and so mm. I wonder if we didn't have all of these substances in our environment, if we weren't so toxic, would this kind of ideology be so accepted by people? I, I don't mm. know. I, it's, it's impossible to say, but I, I tend to think that there's definitely a biological component as to why it's being so readily sort of jumped on. I may be wrong, but. No, that, no I think I you're onto something. Yeah, I think you're onto something too, for sure. Uh, but I, I was going to say uh, earlier when we were talking about like, you know, people are saying that there's no uh, difference between genders and we're talking about like the, the gray area or the spectrum between genders uh, and that those in between the, the binary like uh, A and B sides are statistical anomalies. It doesn't make them bad. It's not a morality judgment. It's just it's. It's literally a mathematical statistical anomaly, which by definition doesn't make it a, a normal. But again, that word normal is super touchy because it's a moral judgment. You know, when you say that, you, you, you can't apply it in a mathematical sense anymore. Mm. So I, I think that, Elliot, I think your your point is uh, accurate in, in that uh, the things that we're seeing, we're seeing more and more uh what you might refer to as statistical anomalies. And so that way you would lead you to look at like what's causing that. And it could be, you know, the explosion of endocrine disruptors in our environment and our diet. Mm-hmm. 
but you know, there's also like people who <clears throat> say, if, there are some people I think who jump onto the like the the gender fluidity train and say when they're 26 years old that oh now I realize that like I may not be your man or a woman or I'm going to go in between. It's like no, you know, you're taking away credibility from people who have legitimately since they were children felt like they were not a male or a female like when they were say somebody was born as a boy but they felt like a girl and they just didn't get along with all the boy things those exist but when you're taking this on as some kind of like a uh uh you know like joining a group like because you're part of a movement and now you're going to say that you're gender fluid you're taking away credibility from people who have actually had that experience in their lives yeah it has become rather trendy hasn't it yeah that's yeah and that's super unfortunate too, because like I said, I know people who have gone through a sex change operation uh, and it's like, you know, their lives are incredibly hard. They've dealt with this since they were conscious, you know, since they were infants um, and it's, and it's a huge struggle for them and it's being sullied by making it a, a, a trendy thing. Hmm. So it's like the whole uh, lesbian until graduation thing. Right. Yeah. I don't what know if you've heard of that, but lesbian until graduation, it was like kind of a phenomenon where, you know, well, uh, you know, women were in university, they would kind of be these hardcore uh, feminist lesbians. And then after graduation, they would kind of divert back to, you know, normal in quotes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I definitely think it's become a trendy thing, especially now when you get into like, you know, uh, now I have not personally had this experience, but I've heard about it. And it's very common in certain areas of the country where when you have a lot of like meetings in the city or say you work in entertainment or something like that, when you start a meeting, you go around the table and introduce yourself and what your preferred pronoun is. And that is becoming, <laughs> that's becoming like kind of a standard societal thing. And it's disrespectful to not take part in that, you know, and that's an issue, I think. Jeez. It's just the same reason I think our parents always said, like, you don't talk about politics or religion at the dinner table. Like, I feel like that (laughs) this is like part of that. (laughs) Yeah. You don't talk about gender issues at the dinner table. Yeah. Or in the business meeting. Yeah. (laughs) I I feel feel like, um, obviously, I'm not overgeneralizing it. I think in some cases... Um, maybe there is some sort of thing that's whatever has happened in that person's development, they have sort of come to the conclusion that they are uh, of the opposite sort of gender. I I tend to think that other than the people who are just sort of jumping onto this as 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 if it's a fad, I think there's some some people before they before they're offered this kind of transitional um therapy where they have their genitals cut off and stuff i think a lot of them probably just need some therapy you know mm-hmm. i think that they need some talk therapy they need to talk to someone who's qualified in dealing with these issues and and you know like there's there's the cases of of lesbians who, who you know who who've been to therapy and then suddenly they kind of realize that they're not a lesbian. Um, no, I'm, not, I'm not saying this is all the case, but I'm saying that, you know, for some people, this is genuinely seems to be the case whereby they've undergone some sort of trauma, traumatic experience, maybe when they're growing up or, um, you know, or some, something like that. And, and, 
and their their view of sexuality or their view of the opposite gender has been so skewed that it kind of manifests in a way that they think they are sort of um, homosexual. But then when they've actually gone through therapy, they kind of realized that actually it was maybe a, a skewed perception or a sort of fear of the other, the opposite gender. And they're no longer lesbian. And I, I kind of think that there's, you know, there's probably a lot of that that, go, that goes on as well is people are so damaged and stuff and that they're, they're searching for their identity. And you've got all of this stuff in the media and stuff that it makes it so easy just to, to make that transition. And as we can mm. see, you know, there's a, there's so many, so many cases of people who have just sort of impulsively jumped to this, this kind mm. of surgery or whatever. And then mm. it turns out that they, they feel like they've made the biggest mistake of their lives and they can't turn it back. And they're, they're absolutely distraught because they realized that it was simply just a fad or it was, you know, something that uh, they, they didn't necessarily want to do. Now that's yeah. part of what makes it so dangerous. Like maybe there is a time before all this social media and all this social justice warrior stuff that was coming out. Some teenagers, like when their hormones are in flux, they may have a little bit of confusion about their sexuality or certain things that's going on in their lives. And this whole SJW culture kind of serves as a recruiting tool. Like anybody who might have just a touch of confusion gets recruited into this whole movement and they don't even have time to kind of like balance things out for themselves and come to their own conclusions. They're just swept up into this fad and they have a hard time getting out of it. Yeah. And I think Elliot, what you're saying, I think that certainly does happen. Um, there's also interesting cases like where, uh, the societal perceptions are put on a case like this in a wrong way. I guess what I'm referring to, like there was one, um, there was a woman and I cannot remember her name, an African American woman who was on the, the, in a magazine for like the top, you know, most beautiful female athletes or something like that. And the, uh, uh, some like conservative female voter group from the United States wrote a bunch of scathing letters to this magazine because they said, this woman is obviously a man. Well, she was not, she was actually a woman <laughs> because of the way she, because of the way she looked, she was very muscular, uh, and had slightly broader shoulders than the normal woman. They thought, I say normal, statistically average woman. Uh, that uh, that all these women thought that it was a trans man and that they were offended by that when in fact it was actually a woman. So it was like that that is creeping in too. Like there was another case I heard where a um, a, a, a woman, a person who was born a woman, wanted to change into a man, had a full sex change operation, came out, is living his life, you know, happily, um, but the the operation and the hormone therapy was so effective, quote unquote, that this person looks like a male model out of like a college sportswear catalog, you know, like, <laughs> and I'm not saying like super hot necessarily. What I mean is like average Joe, you know, Joe Schmo American dude with like a white tank top on short hair, you know, like stubble, like looks like what you would refer to as a dude, quote unquote. Well, this person got slammed hard by the, you know, LGBTQ movement, however you want to refer to it, for being too cis, for being too male, you know, for being like, wow, yeah, yeah, and that they were hurting it by hurting the movement by appearing as what they perceive as their enemy, 
Oh, that and doesn't just make like, any sense. The, <sighs> just like shut the lid to the computer. Like I can't do this anymore today. You know, when you're reading that. That. <laughs> yeah. So, but that, that that's what I'm like sense. the 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 science, the mathematics, the t- t- statistics around it, and the morality and the opinion are all being intertwined in such a way that like you just can't break through with some of these issues. You know. Like, can we just leave people alone? Can we like, that's, that's what cracks me up. The movement wants you to see people as people, not as their group, but Mm -hmm. they're emphasizing the groups in such a way that you cannot get around the groups. Like I want in my daily life to just interact with people. I don't care who you are. Are you compassionate? Like, can we have a conversation? Can I help you? Can you help me? Uh, You know, can we live like normal people? That's all I care about. Like, can we just leave all this other shit behind? You know, and that's where I feel like that that's like that should be the core idea of that movement. But it's not. It's Mm -hmm. it's it's opinion and it's being um, it's being offended and it's, you know, staking your place and making sure that you're right and imposing your will on other people. That's all this stuff has become the exact opposite of what it should be. That's why I said it's a manifestation of cognitive dissonance in our reality. They are A and B at the same time. They don't realize that they're contradicting themselves. Mm. Yeah, and one of one of the issues as well is is that these these types of people, you know, these sort of activists in the LGBTQIA, A B C D E F G, whatever you want to call it, community, it just new letters are added every single day. But these activists, they proclaim oppression and they, you know, claim that they're fighting against. You know this this horrible system where they're oppressed and they're you know fighting for the human rights of people and stuff and they they say all these words but really they're just they're just empty words because if they were genuinely genuinely concerned about um, about the life of, of, of human beings you know and, and the, the the sort of health of people and the well being of, of people then they would be concerned about more important issues because there are so many more important issues. You know, mm-hmm. what about the, the Middle East? What, what about the, the illegal occupation of these these countries? You know, the, the killings and the, the, the wars and the, the... I mean, there's just so much that you can think of that mm-hmm. is so much more pressing and really impacts the life of everyone. Yet they're, they're focused solely on, on this one... And if you really kind of put it into perspective, it's relatively, um, what's the word, unimportant, you know. It's an unimportant mm. thing right now because we're dealing with so many other problems right now. And it's like they, they, they uh, single out this, this so-called oppression. And, and it's kind of just like, to me, it, it says that their words are empty and that it's not about you know, oppression, fighting against oppression and human rights and stuff. It's not about that because if it was, then they would be focusing on the real human rights abuses that go on every single day. Yeah. Yeah, well said. I, you're going to have to drop your mic again, Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> Good rant, Elliot. Uh, it, yeah. It, <laughs> yes, yeah, I'm. I'm in in one of those moods today. It's just no, it's you know, good. It crazy I, no. to see this. Yeah, stuff. It, yeah it, it's good. It, it really it drives me crazy too. It's good to hear you say that. Um, it really is super frustrating. Uh, 
we've kind of so, yeah. gotten off the topic of the um, the men and the differences of, like between men and women and stuff like that. But do you think that that kind of applies, like what you were saying, Elliot, kind of applies to to that end of the spectrum as well? The idea, like people who are trying to kind of erase the differences between men and women. Sorry for putting you on the spot. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think so. I think, um, you know, these people are so focused on on how we differ. They they completely lose lose the whole perspective, you know. It's like uh, you kind of did put me on the spot there, Doug. (laughs) 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 Well, because the reason I asked is because I kind of think that that's true. Um, because I think that, that, that they've kind of gotten so focused on the issue of diversity and having to have every single, you know, minor group kind of represented and that, you know, every, every career should be, um, 50% male, 50% female, or maybe 40, 40, and then 20% trans or something like that. Like there needs to be, um, an equal, uh, you know, this, this equality and it's, it's equality of outcome, like we were saying, rather than like you know, something based on actual skill or anything like that. So I think that, you know, they, they get so focused on this, this one thing and that, and that in order, it's, it's almost like an, um, an obsession with fairness and that everything has to be fair. It doesn't have to be functional, but it has to be mm-hmm. fair. Yeah. And if we don't see an exact equal number of every uh, group, then it's not fair. So we have to change that and we have to enforce it and use, you know, strong arm tactics to, to bring about this fairness which is essentially fascism. And it goes against nature too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, the world is not set up that way. It sounds like a child's tantrum. <laughs> it's not fair. It's not fair. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I'm sure we could talk about this topic for hours really, but it, you know, it's, it's hard to, Says, I mean, I think coming back to our original topic, the the, the biological differences between men and women, it's I, I'm almost to the point of like saying, do, I mean, do we really even need to bring it up? Uh, you know, but here I'm we at that point. About it. <laughs> um, but that is, I, I think, important to discuss are the issues around that. Like I was saying, like the nine out of ten people, like if you walked around and said, "Hey, are men biologically different for women?" It would be like, "Yeah, get away from me," you know. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. And that, you know, that so that part of it is a no-brainer. But the issues that surround it, the the moral judgments, you know, the group thinking, um, the uh, the policing, the language policing, all that kind of stuff, is what really needs to be talked about. Um, and I think, you know, talking about practical solutions, uh, because none of us, at least I don't think are going to like drive up to CNN, you know, and try to try to give them a piece of our mind or something like that. But in a, in a day to day interaction with other people in your life, you know, if this topic comes up, uh, I would suggest do your very best not to be reactionary. Don't let your voice get loud you know like in whatever your personal opinion is i'm not trying to tell you what to think i'm just like how to interact in that way is like just just say do you want to talk about this because if you want to talk about it let's sit down and have a conversation you know but if you're going to yell at me or try to get me to yell at you i'm just not going to go there and i think that's how like in an individual case-by-case basis we can help further discussion by being reasonable and practical and not reactionary because i think that that is like 
one of the main uh, traits of this whole movement, if you even want to call it a movement, uh, is reactionary thinking. And so yeah. you, can, you can kind of like counter that by being calm and reasoned and, you know, just uh, just emphasize that people need to get to know you if they want to get to know you. Uh, it, it's been like I've been getting increasingly more and more frustrated with, you know, social media and seeing how it affects people's lives. And I think it's really a time for us to just not drop it entirely because it's useful, but, uh, you know, foster some other interactions, something that doesn't revolve around discussing an article that was just up on the guardian or something like that. Just have conversations with people and be open and honest, you know? But I wonder if, if part of it is like, it's not necessarily that, that, I mean, I'm sure social media is shaping the discourse in some way. Absolutely. There's no question. But I wonder if you would find that same group of people, you know, would you be just as resistant to actually having a conversation with you, Jonathan? Because <laughs> yeah. I think in a lot in a lot of ways, like maybe there's even like a subconscious understanding that they don't have a very solid argument and that um, they don't want to have the kind of the argument kind of picked apart and analyzed and looked at and actually see, you know, right. um, exaggerated to its possible end, that sort of thing, because they, they know that, you know, they so strongly identify with this yet, um, you know, they, they know that it won't stand up to scrutiny, maybe on a subconscious yeah. level. I totally hear you. It's like that woman that was on with Tucker Carlson, you know, as soon as he started yeah. asking her actual questions, like, Hey, do you really mean this? Then she just <laughs> fell apart, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I think, you know, that's, I mean, it yeah, just seems like, that's a good point. It seems like the, the meaning of behind words is just completely being just gradually, uh, how can you say it? Eroded. Destroyed. Disintegrated. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, dis disintegrated. Yeah, there's a great word because but the thing is, this is such, I mean, Jordan Peterson speaks about this a lot and he's got such a good point in that small minor things or what what some people perceive like you know the difference between men and women they they think of that as a minor a minor issue and you should just ignore it but what you i think kind of have to really understand is that this is a symptom of something much much worse um a much far sort of a wide wide spanning if that makes sense it's it's mm -hmm. something that is gradually entering into our society uh, in in every every sort of level um and it can be seen on the gender politics stuff and it's you know the men and women differences all of this it's part of the same sort of thing and that um and that when you gradually begin to sort of degrade the meaning of words then you then then you then you can um how I was going to link this back. Basically, I was going to talk about how, you know, when one thing is accepted, so, you know, traditionally the idea that a man is a man and a woman is a woman, when when we lose that, we, we break away from that objective truth, then you start to, you, you can come up with new ideas or they can implant sort of new concepts. And, and, um, and it, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is that this can lead to to things whereby people like for instance someone saying okay i identify as a woman today and that's accepted and so people say okay yeah i will call you a she or whatever mm. and then they say oh yeah i want to be a man or okay take it to another level and someone says okay i want to identify as a japanese man who's 
45 years old and um, and is six foot five. You know, mm-hmm. eventually that may be accepted, and you say, okay, yeah, you're really tall, even if the person's really short. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that's just hypothetical nonsense that I can think of at the minute. But what I'm trying to say is that the way the thing that this can pave the way for is is the things like the accept the acceptance of the of the the more pathological things like the pedophilia and the and the you know bestiality and stuff you know mm-hmm. when we start to go down that path there's no return um and i don't know yeah. how i can explain that but i i know what i mean do, do, yeah, i think sense? you did a good job yeah, yeah, it did. yeah. I, 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 there was one article that um we actually read for this week that was uh talking about how you know the ability to change your gender on your birth certificate you know that that seems to be being accepted in some places now, where you can just be like, "No, I'm changing the the, the gender that's listed on my birth certificate." And the guy was kind of like, "Well, can we change any other information on uh, our birth certificates?" You know, um, I was born in 1975. That means I'm over 40. I don't really like that. So maybe I can change the year I was born, so I can be I don't know 38 again, maybe even younger, 35. <laughs> why not, well, why not go like 28? There we go. So I'm 28 now. Or, cool. you know, I don't really like the location of where I was born. You know, I don't really identify with that. We moved when I was very young, so I don't even really know the place. Um, I would want to say that uh, I was born in California. Yeah, so I was, I was born in California. So now, actually, I'm an American citizen. I'm not Canadian. So, <laughs> And you guys all have to accept this. Yeah, and then no, it could I... go to the stage where someone says, okay, I identify as a 12-year-old boy. Uh, therefore, if that's accepted that I'm a 12-year-old boy, then why can't I have sexual relations with a 12-year-old girl? Mm-hmm. You know, and I know that's kind of like uh, you know, it's a dodgy topic, but we have to consider these things. Yeah, I think uh, Elliot, the point that you made was really uh, profound. I, I think that it's a little bit of dark magic, almost. Hey, like if you want to get kind of esoteric about it, that changing the language changes the, the meaning, changes the information that we exchange with each other. So it, it, it's essentially manipulating the entire framework for how the, the population thinks. You know, mm-hmm. so, I mean, it's just like um, 1984. I know that it's a standard example, and, and most, most of our listeners have probably read it or at least know the story, but a major part of that story uh, was the fact that um, Big Brother and the powers that be would change the language Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so that um, people would no longer be able to think of certain things because if they didn't have the mm-hmm. words, they couldn't think of it. Yeah. And they were also big on changing history too, which also comes yeah. into it. Especially, uh, actually one of the chatters brought up uh, the whole thing with the statues right now, taking down all these uh, Confederate statues and things like that, just erasing this this piece of history. You know, we don't like it, so let's let's pretend it didn't happen. Yeah, it's, well, uh, if none of that happened, then how can you claim victimhood over it? Oh, see, they're not thinking it but, through. Yeah, all they're way. not thinking it through. <laughs> yeah. I'm a victim of uh, my your ancestor's slavery. No, you're not. <laughs> Show me. Yeah, but I see what you mean, Elliot. It's slowly getting people to accept a small little lie, and then a bigger lie, and then a bigger lie. And where do the lies stop after that? They don't. Well, I think, I mean, yeah, I guess that, you know, to a certain extent, they stop at a point where it becomes so onerous that a majority of the population can't stand it anymore. And I wonder if it's like kind of reaching that fever pitch. Like I was thinking about, 
Charlottesville and what happened there. And I'm sure everybody's heard this story. Uh, I mean, if uh, for some crazy reason you haven't heard of this yet, there was a uh, uh, Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, West Virginia, or is it West Virginia? Virginia. Virginia. Um, and, uh, and a man uh, plowed his car into a crowd of, of protesters who were protesting the right wingers. Um, absolutely horrific. Yeah, I mean, really, absolutely horrific thing. This guy's obviously uh, unhinged. You know what I mean? Uh, and so thinking about that, I'm trying to coalesce what I'm thinking here. Uh, I, I know some people who have in the past talked about this, like, so the, the right wing has always been kind of like hooked up with guns, right? So it's generally like the left wing is anti-gun and the right wing is pro-gun. If you want to stereotype things, that's how it goes. A lot of left wing people are starting to think maybe we should not be so anti-gun. Maybe we should not be so anti-violent because, you know, we're going to get the crap kicked out of us if we don't fight back. When you have two groups of people, two or more, who start to clash morally and ideologically to such a point that they're going to take up arms against each other, you're talking, you know, serious shit. Pardon my French, but I think I'm I'm concerned that things are heading in that direction to where it's going to reach such a fever pitch uh, that that people on both sides of any given debate who don't have the mental capacity to think things through are going to pick up a bat or a gun or something like that and go at the people from the other group. And I'm mm-hmm. speaking in general terms very specifically because I think that's going to happen on both sides. I think something like mm-hmm. Charlottesville, knock on wood, I wish, I, I hope that it doesn't, but I think something like that is going to happen again. And I think it's going to spark something larger and people really need to chill out about it and have a conversation around this, uh, you know, so that it doesn't spill out into the rest of the country. You know, I, I guess, I don't know if I'm making sense. I, I see violence on the horizon and it worries me is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It's just, it, it really makes me wonder. And it, with like Antifa or anti-fascist, like the kind of like armed left, so to speak. Now they're not necessarily armed yet. They're still throwing sticks and stones. But that's what I'm saying is like as people <clears throat> continue to become more and more riled up, you see where all you have to do is look at history. You can see where that goes. Mm. Yeah. You know, and I guess we want to go a little conspiracy with it. That could be like an excuse to kind of crack down on the population. Uh, maybe that's how they do it. I don't know. But that's not mm. our – this is the health and wellness show. Not (laughs) (laughs) anyway so i guess uh we we are coming up on our time do you guys have any closing points um well men uh, men and women uh women i think yeah and both of that is good yes (laughs) it is good What's the big deal? Just imagine how boring the world would be if we were all the same. Yeah. Yeah, and respect people for crying out loud. Just respect (laughs) other people and just leave it there. Be human. Yeah. (laughs) Well, well, respect the people who deserve respect. There you go. Yes. (laughs) Thank you, Elliot. That's a good point. Good point. We we do have a um, a pet health segment today, so I'm, I'm 
sorry, I didn't mean to imply that we didn't. Uh, so let's go to Zoya's uh, segment, and then when we come back, we'll we'll wrap it up. Okay. Hello, and welcome to the Pet Health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. This week, I would like to share with you a talk about marker training for dogs and how it can be used to build better communication with the furry companions. More so, many of the principles of this training can be used in our everyday life as well and as a way to improve relationships with other people. The talk is being presented by Noah Scheffler. She's a co-founder and the director of academics at the Market Training Institute of Dog Training and Behavior. She is also a certified assistant dog instructor for people with disabilities. Enjoy! Today, I'm going to tell you about a revolution, a revolution of communication, a scientific revolution of observation. With this revolution, we become the dog's best friend, and we start to truly see dogs as they deserve to be seen, as our best friends. You will see how dog training can improve your own relationships, and not just with dogs. We already have the tools and the knowledge, and it's happening all over the world. So picture this. You come home after a long day at work, an annoying boss, a never-ending traffic jam, and as you reach your home, your sanctuary, you open the door, and instead of getting that moment of peace and quiet, your dog attacks you at the doorway, jumping on you, barking and bouncing and loving you to death. Not a fun way to be greeted, right? So how do we react? Do we get mad, yell, raise a knee? And us reacting the way that we do, out of impatience, anger, or misconception, is only understandable. Misconception, because most of the world sees a dog's unwanted behaviors as dominance-based behaviors, power struggles, where dogs try to take charge and boss us around. Out of this misinterpretation of dogs' behavior, we, dog lovers, were convinced our relationship with our dogs is based on a power struggle, and that for the sake of our dogs, we should win this battle, assertively handling our best friends. We had to punish them, to subdue them, yell at them, even hurt them in the name of training. Pele, come. This is Pele. Her name means wonder. And even though she is a wonder dog, even Pele had to be taught there is a better way of showing and getting affection than jumping on me. I like that she's excited to see me, but I don't like to be attacked, even if it is out of love. So she was taught that the best way to get the attention she wants is to come and sit in front of me and wait. And she also learned that the attention is worth the wait. Belly, tofa, tofa. The point is we should all know better. Science has proven it to us decades ago. Dogs are not dominance-driven creatures. So why do we keep training them as if they are? Yet some of us 
don't appreciate dog hair on our couch and want the dog not to sit on it. We have to understand that when a dog sits on the couch, he does it not because it represents some ideal of control, some representation of dominance over our living room, but because it's the most comfortable place to lay in. I mean, that is why we bought the couch in the first place. So once we understand that, the dog only wants a nice, warm, cozy place to rest on next to us. Then we can teach the dog and reinforce the dog, reward the dog for using that nice, warm, soft, cozy place to rest on next to us. Dogs should have rules and have boundaries. But how do we do it? There's a great example that dog behaviorist Kathy Sadeo uses to explain what usually happens when people try to set boundaries. Say you need to get somewhere. So you hail a taxi, you jump in, you close the door, you buckle up, and you tell the driver, don't take me to Tel Aviv. And also don't take me to Jerusalem. And don't take me to Haifa. Do you think the cab driver will have any idea where you want him to take you? (laughs) Of course, the driver's obvious question would be, where do you want to go? And dogs are just like that. They want us to tell them what we want them to do. In fact, they're desperately waiting for our guidance. And it's so easy when we tell people what we want, and then we get what we want. People are no different. I have this friend, and I'm not going to mention names, but she had this boyfriend, and they were going out for about a year, and things were about to get serious, but the guy had this one trait that drove her mad. The guy possessed the incredible ability to completely ignore a messy house. I mean, piles of laundry everywhere, dishes in the sink, overflowing, stuff on the table, the works. It drove her insane, and they used to fight about it all the time. And then, tired of fighting, she decided to try a different approach, mine. So she started capturing behaviors she wanted him to keep. Small stuff at first, when he put his socks in the laundry basket, when he washed one cup. She rewarded those behaviors with things he liked, a hug, a movie, anything that made him happy. Gradually, the house got cleaner and less messy, which was great. But what was really amazing to her was the effect this had on the relationship. She started noticing the things he did right, and she found herself liking him more. Today, they're happily married. And our graduates of the Marker Training Institute here in Israel, led by Nuvi Carmel, will testify the same thing, how learning to train dogs has completely changed their perspective, and not just in the dog training world, but everywhere, their relationships with their partners, their parents, their neighbors, their children. They stopped looking for what everyone was doing wrong and started seeing the things that were right. And that's the trick, basically. Focusing on behavior you want to keep and encourage, and then helping your subject, whether it's a dog or a person or any living being, to learn to offer it. 
That's what the revolution is all about. Helping them learn. Sounds simple in theory, right? But what about extreme cases? Let's get back to dogs. There's a common example that happens in many homes. Let's take a 10-month-old golden retriever mix, Kayla. Now, Kayla is your home common house dog, happy for attention, loves to be petted, great with children. The problem with Kayla starts when there's food or bones around. Whenever anyone comes close to her and her bone, the dog tenses up and growls. According to what we were led to believe, in order to take charge of a growling dog and control the situation, we had to punish them every time such behavior occurred. We had to raise our voice. We had to yell, stop it, Kayla, bad dog. But is Kayla a bad dog? The truth is, she is just a frightened dog, terrified of the possibility that someone might take her food or her bones away. In the past, we would have punished the growling, the symptom, really. But in marker training, we want to treat the cause of the problem, the emotion that is behind the behavior. If Kayla could speak our language, this would be easy. Hey, Kayla, you have nothing to worry about. We're not going to take your stuff. Everything is okay. But she doesn't. So let's communicate with her in a way she will understand. Let's teach her she has nothing to fear. We'll use classical conditioning to teach Kayla that every time we come close to her and her bones, we give her good things. Good things happen, and we're not taking anything away. And soon, Kayla will start to look forward to us coming closer to her, and the growling will disappear. But most importantly, so will the fear. How easy it is when doing it right. It's so simple, without using force. It's such common sense. It's so obvious. So how come we still use force as a dog training method? The truth is a lack of knowledge and false beliefs about what truly motivates dogs. And this is what we are all here to change. The thing with dogs is that they learn all the time. They learn from us and about us. And if they show this amazing ability to learn, don't we owe it to them to take responsibility and teach them properly? Our revolution is ongoing. Dog lovers all over the world have found a better way, a way to establish constructive communication with our learner, to read their body language, relying on studies that help us to better understand dogs so we can help them to better understand us. And for those who found this way, the results are amazing. The dream of having a dog in our home stopped being a nightmare. No more having to be the ever-vigilant pack leader, forever engaged in a battle for control. It brought peace and love back into our homes, the way only dogs can. The revolution is going on as we speak. We have the tools and the knowledge. You can start doing this yourself with your spouse, your dog, your child. Start small and you will see big change happen. Our dogs deserve it. And so do we. Thank you.
<laughs> well, that was great. Thank you, Zoya. Those goats sound like they've been treated well. <laughs> you know, I really trained like goats. About the gender identity. <laughs> but no, that's a, don't don't start making comparisons with the animal kingdom. We're going to get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I think that that was really great. Thank you. Zaya. That's an important point that I think a lot of people miss uh mm. people get frustrated with their pets and then lash out so uh well uh we certainly had a uh, interesting show today i think it was a good discussion thanks to our chat participants we had a busy chat today so that was cool mm-hmm. uh make sure to listen to the sot radio show on sunday at noon eastern time go to radio.sot.net uh the the airtime shows in your local time zone there when you go to the site so check that out and uh, we will be back next week with another show. Thanks, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.